Well, Happy New Year. This is our first Sunday worship experience together this year. And glad that you are in God's house. Today we're going to look into God's Word and think about and uh, uh, meditate on committing our ways to the Lord. Committing our ways to the Lord. Just before we read the text, I want to recognize uh, Joan Baldwin. Joan is back here. I, if you would stand up for just a minute. This is Dr. Baldwin's wife. Dr. Baldwin died about a year ago. Joan, <laughs> a little hard to see her there. Uh, Billy brought her to to Trinity today. Dr. Baldwin uh, was a pastor here for 22 years, died a month ago, and so glad that uh, Joan could join us today. Well, we're going to read from Psalm chapter 37, just the first five verses as we come to the words that are in bold. I'll invite you to read those aloud with me. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong, for like grass, they soon fade away. Everybody say hallelujah on that one, right? Like spring flowers, they soon wither. But what? Let's read this together. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. And read together. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Let's read that again. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help. And how many of you believe that today? You believe that. How many of you found that to be true in your life to, in the, the last year, in the last decade? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that we're going to look at today that comes not only from 3,000 years ago when it was written, but it's an eternal wisdom that you are a good, good father, that you help us when we commit our ways to you. So Lord, uh, would you help us to do that in 2023? Holy Spirit speaks to us individually, I pray, and corporately, in Jesus' name, amen. Now you may be seated again for an extended period of time. For the next two hours, you may be, well, well maybe not. Somebody mentioned a ball game this afternoon. Well, I don't know. As we think about Psalm 37, a very familiar psalm, the authorship is unknown. Now, I'm reading some of the commentaries about it, and they said, David probably was not the author of Psalm 37 because it was a wisdom psalm. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He could have been. You no, know, but they're saying that typically in the tradition there would be wisdom, that there'd be wise men in, in ancient history that would write things like this. And it doesn't sound like David. It could have been David. We don't know if it was David or not. But this is what I know. It was someone who had traveled with the Lord for a long time. When you've traveled with somebody for a long time, you learn a lot about them, don't you? You know, if, if you're going to drive from here to Florida, you know that if you travel with certain people in your car, you're going to have to stop about every hour and 10 minutes. <laughs> you know other people that if you put them behind the driver's wheel, they're never going to stop until they're out of gas. <laughs> you learn things about people. Well, the, whether it was David or a wise man, they learned something about God. It was written out of experience. And experience in life is always filled with difficulties. Don't want to make you sad today, but that's, that's part of life's journey. Again, it was written about 3,000 years ago, written to the Hebrews, the Jews in Jerusalem. You know, prior to the temple and all of its difficulties and David's writing, the Jews in Jerusalem still had social challenges. They had personal challenges. There were cultural challenges. There were political challenges. I don't know how many ballots they took to see who the high priest was going to be, but uh, they had a lot of challenges. 
And it was as easy then as it is now to drift spiritually. Anybody find yourself drifting spiritually in 2022? Come on now. Anybody here find yourself drifting spiritually in 22 from time to time? You're just wondering what's going on. Now, Jerusalem is not the city that we connect with here as uh, citizens on the earth, but we connect with Baltimore. And our city, not too much unlike Jerusalem, has political problems. Amen. Has oppression problems. Amen. Has street crime, has exploitation by the powerful. As there's spiritual darkness that wants to evade, invade us just like it did Jerusalem. But here's the good news. 3,000 years ago in Jerusalem and today in Baltimore, God helps the righteous. Amen. God helps the righteous. Our ultimate destiny is not determined by the limitations of this world, by government, by wrongdoers. Our daily help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And this wise man, again, David or another wise man who was writing, said committing everything to the Lord is the key to prospering in this life. Now, how can I live a fully committed life? Three simple truths that you know, but it's good to rehearse God's word, isn't it? It's good to meditate on and remind ourselves. The first thing, this may be the most difficult out of the three thoughts today, stop envying the prosperity of the ungodly. Stop envying the prosperity of the ungodly. The psalmist said, don't worry about the wicked or those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they will soon wither. I don't know, if this was written by David, uh, David in the Psalms talks about his enemies 106 times. He had lots of enemies Saul was his enemy. Maybe 10 years, 12 years, Saul chased him down. How many of you would like to have somebody chasing you down for that long, wanting to, to end your life? What about Absalom, his son, who sat at the gate and tried to destroy his dad's kingship? All kinds of enemies. Here's one of the things we need to realize in life. If you focus on your enemies, you'll be spiritually paralyzed. It's only about your enemies. There's a spiritual darkness that has invaded our land and our world. And it's people who get caught up, sometimes believers, I'm sure no one in this room, but sometimes believers get caught up following news and talk outlets all day long. And they become some really angry believers. Angry at Washington, angry at this one, angry at that one. They become paralyzed and they become angry Christians. Obsessing on evil will destroy your spirit and will create a cynicism in you about the world. I, I don't have a cynicism. I, I have an optimism because Jesus is coming back and there's going to be a new heaven and a new world. And so here's one of my words to you in 2023. I don't get to do this much longer, but here's my word to you, church, in 2023. Stop worrying. Some of you heard it. Some of you are like, I don't know how I can do that. Stop worrying. We make mountains out of molehills, don't we? I read that the Bureau of Standards says that if a dense fog would come into, let's say, Baltimore City, 
cover seven blocks of Baltimore, and the fog would be a hundred feet high. If that fog was all condensed to water, do you know how much water that would be? That would be about 16 ounces of water. <laughs> That's all it is. But it's spread out there, and we think, man, that'd be gallons and gallons of water to create that much fog, while our enemy only has about a cup full to throw at us. <laughs> and we look at the fog that he creates, and we're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Stop worrying about George Soros. God will deal with him. Stop worrying about the extreme right, the extreme left, and and about Bitcoin or whatever else. Stop worrying about Planned Parenthood. Yeah, we want to see that kind of stuff stop, but God is the judge of all judges, and he will deal with that. Don't obsess on it. We're going to have 21 days of prayer and fasting. Some of you, some of us, need to have the addiction of the endless news cycle broken in our life. You maybe need to take 21 days, and if you listen to CNN, don't listen to CNN. If you listen to Fox, don't listen to Fox. If you read this blog, you need to just clear your heart and get, get God's word on what's happening and what is going to happen. We have the last chapter, don't we? We know how it's all going to end. Evil doers are living a farce. They think they're kings, they think they're powerful, they think they have all the wealth, but it's going to end like a vapor, it's just going to be gone. Psalmist, Psalm 2, verses 3 and 4 says, speaking, speaking about the evildoers, let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. Read this with me. But the one who rules in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. God laughs at Harvard Business or Harvard and Princeton and all these that want to take God and say he wasn't real. All of our education systems and the people who are against God, it's sad, but he has to laugh at them. They say, Let, let's do away with it. Let's free ourselves from slavery to God. No, he's still God. He's still king. Don't envy the wrongdoers. You know, there's a pragmatism that comes into our lives Sometimes when we see wrongdoers prosper, well, they used to be in church, but you know now they're famous, and now they're this, and now they're that, and now they have a platform. They have their, and you, but you take the character and you take their life, and you know that probably Jesus is going to say, "Sorry, I never knew you." But unfortunately, get real for a minute. In Christian homes. We make idols out of people who are far from God, and our children see us making idols out of them, and our children we allow to make idols out of people they should not be making idols out of and envying, and we need to stop that. Parents, don't compromise with those who influence your children in ways that go against God's principles and precepts. Can I say this kindly? Parents, the music your kids are listening to, the concerts that you take them to, the people that you celebrate that are far from God, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Don't live with that regret later on. 
Well, you planted some of those seeds in them. Well, that's, look at that. I'd like you to be like this. I'd like you to be like this athlete or like whoever if they're, if they're not serving God. Parents, you have the responsibility to be the gatekeeper for your children. Who their friends are. What kind of entertainment they're listening to and watching. Social media. Their time on technology. They're going to imitate, because of their immaturity, the people who they think are successful. Find some good men and women in church. Find some good young people, young adults that are older than them and say, that's what success looks like. Don't envy the people who are out of touch with their spiritual loss of connection to God. Get them connected to people who love God. Psalm 37, verses 37 and 8, so later on in the chapter. It says, look at those who are honest and good. What a wonderful future awaits those who love peace. And Read this aloud with me. But the rebellious will be destroyed. They have no future. And when we envy the rebellious, we're on a wrong path, a broken path. John Epstein writes, of the seven deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. <laughs> There's plenty of research to back up his statement. Psychologists have found that envy decreases life satisfaction and depresses well-being. Envy is positively correlated with depression and eroticism, and the hostility it breeds may actually make us sick, physically sick. Recent work studies suggest that envy can help explain our complicated relationships with social media. It often leads to destructive social comparison, which decreases happiness. He goes on to say that envy makes us look ungenerous, mean, and small-hearted. No wonder no one wants to own up to this unhappy sin. Don't envy the world. If social media feeds causing you to be envious, even about people who are believers and have more, have this or have that, and you don't have this, just shut it down. Shut it down. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to allow Satan to plant those thoughts in my mind. But especially, stop envying the godless people of the world. They have no future. And I'll say parenthetically, we should be brokenhearted for them. It's not that we're mean-spirited to them, but we're not going to imitate their ways. Second thought is about spiritual prosperity. Spiritual prosperity it's what I was built for. It's what my soul longs for, what your soul longs for. Those, the advertisement and marketing will, will give you a thousand and one things that are going to make you happier, going to make you thinner, going to make you have more hair, going to make you have fewer wrinkles and all kinds of things. And you're going to think, that's what I'm longing for. But no, your heart longs for God. He designed it that way. Trust in the Lord and do good, then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. What do you do with fear and with envy? You replace them with trusting God. And when you trust God, you begin to defeat evil by doing good. Do good. Trust in the Lord and do good, and then you'll live safely. It's possible to live safely spiritually in Baltimore or any part of this world right now because God is with us in the midst of evil, in the midst of the fiery furnace. 
You can walk out without, a, about, without being burned, without the stench of the world on you. You can live safely. This is what I'm afraid of in America today. We have, you know, we, we talk about uh, our, our children who they, whatever they play, soccer or some other ungodly sport like that, uh, Anthony, or, <laughs> since he's the big soccer guy. Uh, you know, at five years old, they all get trophies, right? We, we saw on the news recently where there was this, it, the, the irony of this school for the gifted and talented in Northern Virginia. Anybody see that? Where they, uh, the, they, they did not give out the merit awards that the seniors needed to, uh, that would have been helpful for them getting into college because they wanted equal outcomes for everybody. So still, you're 18 years old and you all get a trophy and you all get to go for ice cream whether you failed or passed. You know, what, what's that all about? And, and I think that seeps its way into us as believers and we get... We, we get like, uh, it, we're, we're so maybe immature and we dumb down the gospel so much that we have too many Christians who are what I'll call runaway Christians. Let's run to Montana. Let's run to this place or that place. Let's get out of the city. Let's, God didn't call us to be runaway Christians. He called us to stand the ground. He called us to make a difference. He called us to protect ourselves spiritually, but you don't have to move to the mountains to do that couple of amens. Good. A couple of you got that. Jesus said, let your light shine. If I'm in the middle of 5,000 acres out west, nobody's going to see my light. I can turn it up all the brightness I want to. The light shines the brightest where it's the darkest, isn't it? Where there is darkness. Jesus did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a sound mind. Anybody here have a sound mind? Some of you don't know. <laughs> Ask your husband or your wife or your kids. Maybe, I don't know if they'll tell you the truth, but he gave us a sound mind. You know, I wonder about us sometimes as uh, American Christians. I know many of us have come from other parts of the world, this generation, or maybe your parents. And I wonder uh, if... <laughs> What it would be like for some of us to have to go and to live in impoverished areas of the world, would we still be Christians? Would we still say, God, I trust you? Let that sink in for a minute. What would it be like? I read some prayers that came from some Christians who lived in, who live in the mountains in Haiti. Prayers for grace and protection. Short prayers and interpreted into English. Here's the prayer. The first one is, Lord, all my life I have been just a weed. I became a flower. I am young and want to grow and be cultivated so I can become more beautiful. Doesn't sound like an American prayer, does it? Lord, in Christ we are a grain of corn in a clear bottle. Satan comes like a chicken and pecks for the corn, but never reaches it. Lord, how glad we are that we don't hold you, but you hold us. Finally, Lord, don't let us put a load of trouble in a basket on our head. Help us put them on Jesus' head, then we won't have headaches. Hey, there you go. There it is. Stop worrying. Give it to Jesus. All that trouble that you're carrying around, 
That frown that should have been a smile when he walked into the sanctuary today. Replace envy with delighting in the Lord. Why do we envy the wrongdoers who seem to prosper in the land? Let me give you the simple answer. We delight in them. They make us happy. They sing songs that make us happy. They, or they, you know, you have some of these uh, musicians that have no happy songs. There's a few of them out there. It's all sad songs. And so they, I think they're, they're virtually, they're continually on this carousel of they date somebody and they break up and they date somebody and they break up. And some of us like those sad songs and we just, uh, we go there and we, we delight in them. Psalm 73 says, David was asking, God, why is it that the wicked prosper? It's one of the questions of the ages, isn't it? Why does God allow them to prosper? Because he is a gracious God. He's a merciful God. And he wants us to know that that's not what life is all about. Here's my word of caution to you as a believer. Instead of envying and delighting in the wicked, don't forget the blessings of God in your life. How many of you, God has blessed at least one arm up? How many of you has blessed two arms up? How many of you can put your feet up and I can't do two at the same time? But you can say, I delight in the Lord. He has blessed me. And he says here, the psalmist said, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. When? When you delight yourself in the Lord, when you're happy in Jesus. What does delight mean? It means to be soft, to be pliable, to be moldable, to be teachable. To say, God, I don't understand it all, but I trust you. How many of you have had some dark days last year, but you had to trust God? How many of you are facing some things right now and you don't know? And there's a lot of uncertainty, but you've got to trust God. It's a promise from God. Your new desires... As you delight in the Lord, every desire that you have in that new spiritual life is good for you. God is not going to give us anything but goodness, right? He's not going to give us a stone if we ask for bread. He, he, he's going to give us the good things that are exactly what we need. Now, here's the problem. Without God, our worldly desires harm us. The person who, oh, their, their whole delight is if they had more money, and then they get more money, and what does it do to them? Or they get what they want, and at the end of the road, at the end of the day, it was harmful to them. God is not going to give us things that harm us. Jesus said in John 15, 7, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, read it with me, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. He didn't just say, if you come to church and give your tithe, you can ask for anything you want. If you just come to church every Sunday morning, you can ask for anything that you want. He said, if you remain in me and my words, the words of God, remain in us, then what happens? We delight in him. Our desires change. Are you longing for the blessings of God or the blessings of this world? Is your heart set on pleasing the one who died for you? I want to please Jesus with my life. I want him to be honored. The church, stop envying the world, delight in the Lord, and here's the final thing. The real simple message, I must commit everything to God. Everything to God. Not just my health, not just my children, 
not just you know, this certain segmented parts of my life, everything has to be committed to God. Committing everything simply means rolling your ways to the Lord, casting your burdens on Him. Give God your burdens. Trust God and He will intervene. What keeps us from trusting God? One word, unbelief. Unbelief. Do you believe He is a good, good God? Do you believe he is a good, good father? Do you believe he has your best in his heart? Do you believe that? You have to believe that. Unbelief keeps us from God's help. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 40, 31, but those who what? Trust in the Lord will find new strength. You don't even need a gym membership. You don't need to follow along. I mean, physically you might need one. But spiritually, trusting gives you new strength. You'll soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. They're not going to give up. They're not going to say it's not true. The parents aren't going to see them. The kids aren't going to see them despondent. When something goes wrong, they're going to say, I'm still trusting God. I lost my job today, but I trust God. The doctor gave me a report that I didn't want to hear, but I trust God. Things aren't looking good, but I, I trust God. Trust equals spiritual vitality. You can run through a troop, right? You can jump over that wall because you trust God. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he what? He cares. Turn to your neighbor and say, he cares about you. Turn to the other neighbor and say, he cares about you. Put your hand on your heart and say, he, he cares about me. He cares about me. He loves me. He is a good God. All my worries, all my cares, I can give to him. He cares for me. Surrender your cares. Pastoring, and I already had this in my notes, not knowing Joan Baldwin would be here. I could just go over the litany of years to serving here at Trinity and tell you about saints who have trust and are trusting God even in difficult seasons. Many of you know Gene Kimry. Oh, so much chemotherapy. Years of just horrible doctor's reports. She's ready to go home and meet God. Her husband, where's Ron? Ron's going to be somewhere in the back, always serving here. One of our uh, hospitality guys, there's Ron back there. Ron could tell you, you walk back to Ron after service, he'll tell you the sweet spirit that Jean has. Because she trusts God. It's not I'm going to trust God if I'm healthy. I'm going to trust God if things go my way. I'm going to trust God on the mountains. I'm going to trust God in the valley. Pastor Baldwin, Joan was there for those last several months when he was in hospice care. He was there for you, Joan, wasn't he, 20-some 20, 20 years ago when we didn't know if she was going to make it. Never expected that the outcome would be this way. And I would watch Pastor Baldwin, and he would always trust God. Lost a granddaughter. Most of you don't know the story. Pastor Baldwin lost a granddaughter who was 19 years old. She was a gymnast, probably uh, would be... Olympic caliber gymnast, blood clot, and while she was practicing, suddenly the blood clot went and 
to her body and killed her at 19 years old. Pastor Baldwin still trusts God when he lost his granddaughter. Lost a son and or daughter-in-law. Nearly 40 years old, if I remember correctly. Kids at home and Kirk's wife still trusted God. Walked with young parents who have lost young children, who have lost the preborn, still trusting God. That's who God wants us to be. That's who he created us to be. That's what he can do through us that's, that's supernatural, that the world looks at us and say, how can you do that? Because I know that God has a plan. I know I'm going to be reunited with those friends, those family members one day. Proverbs 16, 3 says, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Let me give you something, maybe you can write this down. Let me define failure for you. Failure is this. You're writing it down, if you've got the phone out and you're going to switch over from, to the memo pad from the game you've been playing or whatever you've been doing. Failure can be defined this way. Being successful in things that do not matter. Being successful in things that do not matter. What the world applauds, somebody who can sing, somebody who can dance, somebody who can catch a football, there's nothing sinful in those things. But the world just looks at that and doesn't look at character and doesn't look at spirituality and you can be successful in everything, every, every metric of the world and still miss heaven and still miss God's plan for your life. Stop envying this world, delight in God, and commit your ways to him. Amen and amen. Someone has said, you know, you and I and whether you're a follower of Christ or, or not. We're, we are not integrated, whole, and unified as people. Our hearts are multi-divided. It's like being in a boardroom. You walk into that fancy boardroom and the big table and all the chairs and the water and the whiteboard, and you walk into that boardroom and the committee sits around the table in your heart talking about what you should do and how you should make decisions. You have a social self, who you are when you're with the crowd. You have that private self, who you are when you're at home all alone. You have the, the work self and how you, how you make compromises just to make it through work. You have the, the sexual self and how you think about yourself and others. You have the, the recreational self. You have the religious self. and this, this, you, you're, you are run by committee. And your committee is always arguing and debating and voting and constantly agitated and constantly upset, just like Washington, D.C. That's, that's the way our lives run. And rarely does your committee come to a unanimous, wholehearted decision. And we tell ourselves we're this way because we're so busy we of this responsibility. But the truth is we are divided, unfocused, hesitant, and unfree. And then we come to church and we talk about accepting Jesus. And one of the ways that we accept Jesus is we invite him to the table. And he becomes one of the voices in our life. 
So our social voice and our private voice and our recreational voice, and we have all these, and we're hoping Jesus can speak louder than the others. And we say, Jesus, you know, could you help this committee? My life isn't working. Can you come in? Can you fire a few people in my committee? And, and, and you know, can you, can you give me the reins back? I'm your responsibility. Not responsibility. Accepting Jesus is not adding him to the committee of your life. It's getting rid of the committee and saying, Jesus, you're Lord. <laughs> Jesus, you're King. It's all about you. That's committing your ways to God. God, you're not going to come in and we're not going to have a debate about this or that. God, if you said it in your word, I believe it. That's, that settles it for me. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to live that way. Accepting Jesus is not just adding Jesus. It's subtracting the idols of your life, says Ray Orton, and what does it mean to accept Jesus? As we begin this new year, we're going to commit our ways today, and we're going to share and make public your commitment. On the screen, you're going to see a QR code. I don't know what that stands for. It just means there's a bunch of squiggly marks on a, something that you point your... Now you can get your phone out. And if you turn your camera on, you don't know how to do that, find somebody under six years old around you and they can help you do that. Maybe under three years old, they can help you do that. Point it at that QR code. Let's see if this works. It works, Anthony. And then just click on that in 2023, I want to commit this to the Lord. Whatever it is, maybe it's your marriage, Maybe it's your resources, the things that you're struggling with. I'm going to ask you just in those couple words, would you just fill that in and hit the send button, and then we're going to send you for counseling. No. <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to compile these that you're sending in. Again, just don't put your name there, just, just short things that you're committing. And as a church, we're going to carry one another's burdens today. Jesus said, when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. We're gonna, there's many among us that maybe you feel no one cares. We care. God's people care. We're here because we love you. We're going we're gonna to submit those. A few minutes, we're going to sing. We're going to worship together. And then later on, we're going to gather around this altar during this first Sunday. And, and uh, we are going to pray and have God's blessing on us and say, God, as individuals, as families, as a church, we're committing our ways to you. Would you join me in prayer and ask our musicians to join me back here on the stage? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you not to, again, make him one of the committee, but would you make him Lord of your life today? Well, how do you do that, Pastor? I want God's blessing in my life. I, I want what you're talking about today. I'll give you three steps, A, B, and C. The first step is you have to admit your brokenness. You have to admit that your life is being run by a committee that rarely pleases God in their votes. That you like it. B, you have to believe that Jesus is a rewarder. You've got to believe that he's the son of God. You've got to put your trust in him. 
See, you've got to choose, you've got to commit. You've got to say, I'm going to commit my life to Jesus Christ. If you'll do that, you'll begin a spiritual journey with him. The Bible tells us that everything becomes new. You'll notice new attitudes, new desires. There'll still be a struggle there. There'll still be the, the, the ongoing fight there. But Jesus comes in and takes control of your life. The Holy Spirit comes in, as Anthony was talking about last week, and it's not just a bunch of options. The Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and direct your life. And as believers, many of us, maybe 2022, you are more run by committee than you are run by Jesus. As we think about communion in just a moment, it says that when we come to the communion table, when we come to remembering the work that Jesus did in our lives, that we have to confess our sins and ask forgiveness. Let's do that together. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, uh, we come to you and we admit we need you. We admit that we desperately need you today. It's not just we need you to, to change our life a little bit or increase our happiness 5%. We need to have your joy be our joy. We need to be... Knowing in our, we need to know in our heart that one day we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's success in this life. That's what it's going to mean to get to the last chapter of our life on earth and hear those words. That's what we want. That's what we're working towards. So, Father, we've asked forgiveness for our sins. So many times it's just a sin of not taking the time to say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, what direction should I go? Sometimes we become comfortable with our own Christian walk and we, we make decisions without you, Jesus. And we listen to the committee today. We ask forgiveness for that. We ask forgiveness for hurting people. We ask your help in redeeming people. So, Father, would you forgive us? Help us to be forgivers. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.